The Cinders of Dezu, written and read by Oliver Tonic. A tyrant king, a missing girl, and a journey through a perilous world. Join me for this completed sci-fi fantasy novel, read as an audio series. Enjoy the story from here on, or binge from the beginning with the first episode. Like and subscribe if you enjoy. My audiobooks are totally free. If you'd like to donate to support my writing, though, check out my Patreon in the description. And now, back to the tale. Chapter 6 Keeping Dark Cairo sat up again with a start. He slapped his face and groaned in frustration. He hated feeling mentally foggy. He didn't like the sensation of being out of control of himself. He looked around. He was in a bed again. This one was a bit smaller. It was big enough for just him, and he was all alone in the room. It looked like he was in a cabin. The burlap bag that Harper had given them was in the corner. The door swung open. Good, you're awake. It was Julian holding a book open in his hand. Dude, this thing is full of crazy. I don't even know where to begin. He started flipping through the pages. It actually tells you how to take care of an outhouse. How to shovel it and how to fix it. There's bags of stuff under the sink for it. It's got pictures and everything. Julian brought the book to Cairo's face to show him an illustration of a simple outhouse with a breakdown of its parts and a diagram of the hole underneath and its measurements. Julian pulled it back and started going through the pages again. And apparently it's incredibly important to keep lights on outside at night. There's a section on different fruits and berries to pick and jobs you can apply for in town. Cairo grabbed at the book in his hands. No, man, Julian said, pulling away. You have your own. Look. He went over to the bag in the corner and opened it. He pulled out the book Harper had shown them before they had been put back to sleep. It was clearly hand-bound, wrapped in a front and back cover of leather. It wasn't terribly large, nor was it very heavy when Julian placed it in his friend's hands. The Dezumian Survival Guide? Cairo read aloud. The title was printed on the book's cover in dark letters. Good job reading right after coming off that sleep dart stuff, said Julian. How long you woke up? Cairo said, pointing at him. <laughs> there it is. I don't know, maybe half an hour or something? My room is next door. I looked around a bit and started reading this. Cairo threw the blankets off of himself and put his feet on the floor. Julian warned him about standing up too fast because of the seamy-seamy in his system. He tried to stand up anyway, and Julian had to catch him. It wasn't long before Cairo had enough stability to exit his room and look at the rest of the cabin. It wasn't big, and it was rather simple. Just outside his bedroom door was a living area with a cedarwood dining table with four chairs around it. To the right was a simple sink. Toward the other end of the room was an upholstered couch sitting in front of a fireplace. Kyra went straight for the front door, which was located on the left next to the dining table. He burst into the open air, nearly tripping down the few steps at the entrance. Before him was a dirt clearing with low grass a few meters ahead. They were surrounded by very tall and very thick trees. The branches were bursting with green as the sun tried to shine down through them. It was a sight to behold. The trees and plant life looked very well-nourished and hydrated, putting their contentment on display. Raina! Cairo called out. Ray! A hand covered his mouth. It was Julian from behind him. He began pulling him back into the house. Are you nuts? 
How about you read some of the book before you start telling the world where we are? Julian drug him to the dining room table and sat him down. He placed the book in front of him. All right, read the beginning, let your brain come back, and after that we'll figure out the Reina thing. Cairo heaved a sigh and flipped open the leather cover. The title page listed the author as Harper Jennings. As he gradually came to more clarity, Cairo grew ever more interested in what he was reading. The book started out as a welcome and condolences for new arrivals. It instructed them about a few of the survival items that were in the bags and why. Making fire was heavily encouraged with matches, flint rocks, and torches that were already prepared to be lit. The book said it was crucial that one learned how to make fire and never be caught at night without something to produce light. Cairo got up to grab his bag. The way the guide was worded, it was beginning to feel like an interactive activity. He brought it from his room to the table and started laying its contents around Harper's pages. One by one, he placed an axe, a hunter's knife, two small torches, the fire-starting materials the section had mentioned, a small sack that he discovered had some hard flat cakes inside, a small pot, three sets of clothes, shoes, some local money, several thin rungs of metal grating with other metal pieces attached, something that looked like a porous rock, and a cylindrical metal item with what appeared to be a mouthpiece at the top. The guide first addressed what to do with the fire-starting materials. He was instructed to light the lamps outside and keep them lit until nightfall. Cairo was confused and headed out to see what it meant. He noticed lamps hanging around each outside corner of the house. He took a match and lit each one. They all had a small, shiny black ball of something flammable inside them that shone brightly after they were lit, even during the day. Next, he was to prioritize water and was directed to take the porous stone and the metal cylinder with him. The packet said whatever cabin they had been placed in would not be far off from water. Cairo looked over at Julian, who had brought in kindling from outside that he was placing in the fireplace. He had the axe from his own bag in hand. Did you get to the water part yet? Cairo asked. Nah, he said. I mean, I don't know, because I kind of lost interest. I mean, I was still flipping through, but it's a lot, though. You know me and homework. I know you wouldn't have done any of it if it wasn't for me, said Cairo. Julian smiled big and nodded proudly. Yeah, you remember how this works. You've got the brains, I've got the brawn, and the looks, and the cool, and the ladies, and... Uh-huh, what would I do without you? Cairo said. You'd be cold, that's what. I'm making a fire because it's Camping 101. You just give me the clip notes for the test, like always. Cairo got up. Let's take a hike. I think there should be a river or something nearby. There were two buckets located under the table that the book had assigned to each of them. They took them and headed out. The forest was lush and green, with a lot of sounds of various buzzing and chirps. It seemed like a lot of noise for what Kyra supposed had to be midday. The guide was correct. There was a river very close. It was only a minute's walk or two before they could hear the sound of it. When they reached it, it was more like a small stream. Cairo held up the metal cylinder. The manual says this is a kind of bottle, I guess? He twisted the top with the mouthpiece, and it slid right off. They both looked inside. Cairo took two fingers and slid a baggie out of it. It was made of a soft white material and was tied off at the top. It looks like cheesecloth, said Cairo. Julian smirked and then affected pushing up glasses as he spoke with a nasal in his voice. It looks like cheesecloth. Cairo ignored him and held it up to his ear, rattling it around. 
Does it feel like rocks are in there to you? Julian nodded as he felt the bag. Kyra placed it back in the bottle and knelt down to collect water from the stream. Julian followed suit with his own. Afterwards, they filled up the buckets as well, which held more than they expected. They brought it all carefully through the trees and back to the cabin. They placed them on the floor near the table and read more of the guide. It says the rock is called a gupper sponge, said Cairo. And it's alive. What? Julian grabbed the book and looked at it. He read the instructions aloud. Place the gupper sponge in the bucket and let sit for five minutes. Then remove and set aside. The water will be filtered and safe to drink? Cairo had a look of surprise. He placed the gupper sponge in the bucket with a plunk. He watched. After a moment, they could see the water change. It was very slight, but it seemed to be moving. A living water filter, Cairo said. The gupper bottle has a sack filled with smaller gupper sponges ready to clean your water of bacteria and contagions, Julian said, reading from the guide. So, yeah, I guess it works kind of the same. After the five minutes were up, he pulled the sponge out. It was now soft and squishy. Julian refused to touch it. It felt strange to just lay it on the table to dry out, but the book said the gupper sponge was able to go into a stasis when dry and can go extended periods without food or water. They opened the cabinets above the sink and found cups. As they drank, they opened up the baggie and began eating the crispy flat cakes. They were surprisingly tasty, having a bit of a garlicky flavor. Cairo leaned back in his chair. How long before we can set out for Reina? Is Harper supposed to meet up with us soon? Julian shook his head. I hate to break it to you, bruh, but I think this is it. What do you mean? I flipped ahead, and I mean, I think the book says we're not going anywhere. Cairo frowned. You mean we're supposed to stay here? Without a toilet? The book says this is our setup. It says in town we aren't supposed to call ourselves human, but instead we're one of the locals. The people call themselves Nam. What? Cairo said, snatching the book from him. He started flipping frantically. Are you buying this? Is this all really happening? He said as bullet points and sketches of strange creatures whipped by his disbelieving face. Julian leaned back. Well, I mean, we've seen a lot already. Some ridiculous stuff. Because you're trying to justify this in your head just like me, right? Because this is... This, this is... Julian nodded. Kai, I hate to break it to you, but I think this is legit. Cairo frowned and looked around. And this is our house, then? We live here now? Julian pressed his lips together and gave him a shrug. Cairo let air out of his lungs like his whole body was deflating. He put the book down in front of him and laid his head face down on the table. How did this happen? His words were muffled by the surface of the table. I had already enrolled to the scholarship and a major, and I had a, I don't know, a general plan for how my life was going to go. Yeah, homeownership this early wasn't in my dream for my best life either, Julian said, looking around the cabin. And no offense, but I also didn't have you in the dream. Plus, there was a big screen. Man, I'm serious. How are we getting out of this? Aren't you worried? Julian looked at him, confused. No, I'm not worried. You'll figure it out. Cairo looked up and gave him a disconcerted frown. 
What are you talking about? Julian shrugged. You figure a way out of everything. Kyra put his elbows on the table and clapped his hands together. He sighed. What on earth makes you think I can get us out of this ridiculous sci-fi movie of a predicament? Julian scoffed. Fog Norton. Cairo's eyes widened and he opened his hands in questioning. What about him? Julian readjusted his feet on the floor. Okay, remember how I always stole his mechanical pencil lead and I used to joke about how dumb he was and how he'd never find out? Cairo nodded. Yeah, and I remember you were way too small to be risking your life like that. Fog was some kind of middle school size aberration. Also, he wasn't nice. Like, at all. Right, I was dumb, he said. But remember how you got me out of it when he found out? I paid him three dollars for missing pencil lead, which you never spotted me for, said Cairo with his eyebrows lowered. Yeah, but he still didn't let it go. And then I was walking home, and he found me, and was about to jump me. But then you were there. Dude, what does this have to do with anything? You said you knew he was going to beat me up because it didn't sit right, his reaction when you paid him. So you followed him and found out what he was going to do. You never skipped class. But this one time, you skipped your after-school workshop to walk me home instead, so I would have backup. I'm still at a loss as to why you're bringing this up. Julian put his hands out. I thought I was going to die that day. You definitely would have. Fogg was out of his mind. His brothers were psychos. That kid did not grow up well. My point is, Julian said, I got into something stupid and you got me out of it. You've done it over and over. I'd follow you to the ends of the earth, and I'd be sure you'd get us out of anything. <sighs> If all of this is true, then we already reached the ends of the earth, Cairo said. Julian put his arms out to present himself. And here I am. Cairo faintly smiled. Then he chewed on his lip and sighed. Does it say where to find food? These crackers or whatever aren't going to last long. Julian raised an eyebrow and snatched his book off the table. He mumbled as he leafed through the pages. You were supposed to be giving me the cliff notes, but since you have some kind of existential crisis. He finally found a section marked food and scavenging. All right, have you ever foraged before? Oh, no. Done any trapping or hunting lately? Oh, that's apparently where we're at unless we go into town, but it says to follow the manifestation rule before contact with the locals. What's that? I don't know. I don't do homework, remember? He said, giving the pages a flip with his thumb. We don't have time for this. I don't care what he said. We are finding a way home. But first, I'm finding my cousin. There he is, Julian said with a smile. Is there a section in there about how to reach someone for help? Can we contact Harper again? We don't even have a phone in here. Julian started looking through the pages again. He stopped and scanned a section for a moment. In case of emergency, contact Talia the Night Huntress. Night Huntress? Kyra repeated. Julian's eyebrows slowly raised as he continued to read in silence. What is it? Cairo said. It tells you how to contact her, and it's very weird. What, man? Come on. Julian closed his eyes and shook his head. He handed Cairo the guidebook, open to the page he was reading. Cairo scanned it. 
Huh. Julian realized the light was beginning to fade as he latched the cage closed. They had set up both of the traps that Harper had given them just a little ways into the forest around their property. They had placed them in an area full of brush that was peppered with a kind of seed the manual had said was a local treat for small animals. The bait was a smelly paste they had carved out of a local tree. They had spent the rest of the day trying to sort out how to catch food, and this was the last of Julian's task for his trapping tutorial. He stood up and looked around. The ground was covered in a raised bed of dark green leaves, splayed out, trying to collect the last bits of sunlight. The last time he'd seen Cairo, he was headed down a hill to his right and had disappeared. Julian headed over and saw, just a bit down the hill's incline, his friend kneeling in front of something. Julian wandered over and looked over Cairo's shoulder. In his hand was a creature that was shaped like a small diamond. It had an exoskeleton like a grasshopper and small insect legs on the bottom edge of the diamond shape. In the center was a large eye. It was eerily human and was wide, darting around in what could clearly be interpreted as fear. Yo! Julian said, jumping back. You're touching that thing? Why are you touching it? Cairo stood up. You're going to need to, too. This is it. Watch. He turned around and held it in front of him. They both watched in silence and stayed still. The eyeballs on either side of the thing wandered around, looking at the two of them carefully. Slowly, the eyes started to relax. At the top point of the diamond, opposite the side with the insect legs, a tiny little floating ribbon began to peek out. Gradually, it revealed itself to be three translucent glowing ribbons that wafted from the diamond's point. They floated upward and began to spin and dance, creating a dazzling display of alternating color. Julian heard himself let air out of his chest as he took in the sight. Cairo lifted up his other hand, holding the hunter's cage. Julian helped him hold down the metal spring trap so he could carefully place the creature inside. It was large enough that it couldn't quite fit through the openings of the cage. It wandered around, continuing its light display. They both looked around, and gradually the forest floor began to be littered with ribbons of flashing color peeking up above the foliage. Okay, nine more to go, said Cairo. It didn't take long to collect all they needed. There was a sea of dancing rainbow lights as the little things signaled to each other. Julian had to get past his fear of the creepy crawly long enough to pick them up with the tips of his fingers. But once he did, it wasn't so bad. The bugs weren't overly concerned with self-preservation. When they were approached, their ribbons would die down a bit, and they would give the boys a bit of a chase before letting themselves be picked up. Once placed in the cage with the others, they seemed to interact with each other by using their ribbons as feelers. Julian thought he could hear them making tiny chirps to each other as well. Once they had all ten, Cairo placed the cage on the ground in front of them. Okay, you ready? Cairo said. Yeah. Several of the little creatures' expressive eyes looked up at the towering figures above them while the rest continued interacting with one another. Cairo took a deep breath. One, two, three. Both of them screamed down into the cage at the top of their lungs. The eyeballs in the cage all widened and shot in all directions. They could see them tremble in the flash before all the ribbons retracted and the cage went dark. Julian began laughing. Cairo smiled in the dark and shook his head as he leaned down to open the trap. That's messed up. 
Julian kept laughing as the little creatures quickly scurried past Cairo's hand and out of the cage. Hey, those are the instructions. What are you going to do? Julian said, amusement still in his voice. Cairo stood up once the cage was empty and looked around. His eyebrows drew together. Um, where did the rest go? Julian's smile fell from his face as he realized Cairo was right. The ribbons were gone. The forest floor was dark again. The sun is down, completely, whispered Cairo, staring into the darkness of the trees. He looked back towards their cabin. He could see the light of its lanterns glowing beyond the trees. A low hum rose from the silence. It sounded like the shuffling of feet. It sounded like a lot of feet. It was the kind of noise that felt like you shouldn't be able to hear it from far off, but the sheer abundance of pitter-patter defied its natural state. The two briefly shared a look of terror in the darkness. They took off toward the cabin as the sound began to increase. The footsteps had risen to the sound of a soft-padded stampede. It drowned out the sound of their own footsteps as they reached the bright light of the lanterns. In the night, the lanterns cut through the darkness and bathed the cabin in a light not unlike what they had seen in the first village they encountered. Each lantern created a light aura that stretched around the cabin so no shadows from the night could penetrate. They ran inside and shut the door. They sat nervously at the table in the dark. The rising sound grew so loud the cabin felt like it was beginning to shake. Finally, it reached a crescendo and held there. The sound of the stampede surrounded the whole house, now peppered with yelps, cries, and a few growls. It went on for some time. Cairo finally couldn't take it. He stood up. No, get down! Julian hissed. Cairo crept over to the closed window over the sink. It was covered with large wooden shutters. He undid the latches to them and opened them just enough to create a tiny crack to peek through. There, beyond the glow of the light, was a streaming flood of black fur. It was an impossible horde of black dogs. They were parted like a river, flowing around the light of the cabin. He could make out that some were fighting and biting one another as they ran. Some sniffed the air, others the ground as they combed the forest floor for food. As he kept watching to make out shadows in the dark, Cairo felt a chill run down his spine. Right at the edge of the veil of darkness, a massive quartet of paws paced over one another, back and forth. Raised an uncomfortable height off the ground was a large set of glowing eyes. A large wet nose ventured into the light and crinkled as it snapped itself back behind the veil. From the quick glimpse of its snout, Cairo could make out the outline of the creature. It was a dog with a shoulder height that looked about as tall as the doorway of the cabin. It was sniffing them out. A deep, bellowing snarl shook the ground as the gleaming teeth snapped at one of the passers-by. The smaller dog cried out as the larger caught it by the nape of its neck. It crouched and scurried away to catch up with the rest of the crowd. The larger dog quit its pacing and followed it into the furry black current. Cairo jumped as he felt a hand on his back. He heaved a sigh as he realized it was only Julian. He let him switch spots to look through the shutters. Cairo sank to the floor. He could visibly see Julian tense up as soon as he saw the sight. A sliver of light from the shutters scanned across Julian's face as he shook his head. Home sweet home. 
Hey guys, it's Oliver. Thanks so much for listening. Give me a like and subscribe if you want to hear more. Support this book and my continued writing through Patreon. I'll have regular episodes up until all chapters of this story are fully released. So stay tuned.